Shadow of the Hook by Wolfgang Wimmers Passage 2 A Call for Help and a Pool of Kelp We have to find what? asked Rosa, staring at the two fairy folk. Your sage guardian, replied Quilby, who was becoming flustered. Sorry, our, our what? Rosa responded again. You know, your, your fairy guardian, said Ash, butting in. All kids have them. Um, no kids have them. None that we know of anyway. Of course you do. You just haven't been paying attention. We need to find your sage, I, I mean your fairy, uh, what do they call them again? We need to find your fairy godmother. Ah, oh, okay, I've heard of those, said Rosa. But Oscar and I don't have one, silly. They're just in books. Well, well that's what you believed about gnomes and f f fairies until today. Well, that's true now you mention it, said Oscar. Do we really have a fairy godmother? Surely not. Yes, lad, you surely will have one. And whoever yours is, she will definitely be old enough and wise enough to help us. Mark my words, she'll know what to do to stop the grubble. The children still looked doubtful. Okay, we'll have to do this the hard way, sighed Ash. Quill. Do you have a memory spell of some kind? Quilby looked up, face beaming. Uh, of course. I, I have just the thing. I, I'll have it ready in a j j j jiffy. He whisked the pointy red hat off his head and fumbled around inside before pulling out a small brown satchel. Quilby looped its strap around his shoulder and reached within. He brought forth a number of items, including a wide leaf four glass jars of coloured powders, and a small brown pellet. Uh, Quilby, that looks like rabbit poo, said Rosa. It, it is, it, it is, he replied, nodding and grinning widely as he squeezed the pellet between two fingers. Oblivious to Rosa's disgust, Quilby continued his work. He gathered together a few more strange-looking ingredients from his bag before tying everything up into a leafy parcel with a single bright blue hair. He looked up at Rosa with a happy smile. It's snit whiskers, he boasted proudly, pointing to the hair, before placing the satchel back into his hat, then popping the hat back on his head. Holding his freshly made poo parcel in his hand, Quilby turned to look around the room and said, I, I'll n n need a reflector plate to uh, finish the spell, to capture and display the uh, m memory. He pointed up at the mirror that hung on the wall above Rosa's bed, where a puffy white quilt rested neatly above sky-blue bedsheets, resembling a cloud in the sky. Over, over there, y yes, that'll do the trick. Uh, Oscar, can you p p p please get that one down for me? <sighs> Reflector plate, whispered Oscar with a roll of his eyes. Still, he did as he was asked. 
Oscar jumped up on top of the downy quilt and almost lost his footing. Regaining his balance, he found himself facing Rosa's favourite possession. He had never paid it much attention until now. It was a painting of a sprawling country house, bathed in the light of a sunset. It sat within a thick golden frame. At dusk, Rosa loved to sit patiently, watching the shades of pink in the picture slowly darken, as the sun set outside her window. It was like the painting breathed a life of its own. No, Oscar, Rosa said. Not, not the painting, the, the mirror. Yeah, Rosa, I know, said Oscar, moving a step to his left and carefully lifting the mirror off the wall. He handed it to Rosa, who placed it down on the floor. Quilby sprinkled some silvery dust onto each corner of the mirror. Next, he removed his red hat, placing the tightly wrapped parcel he'd made earlier inside it. He was ready to start the spell. Wiggling his fingers above the hat, he walked slowly round the mirror and spoke. From the deepest of caves to the top of sun's fingers, open the gate to where memory lingers. As he held his hat out toward the mirror, thousands of colourful sparks began flying out of it, down onto the floor. Rose's eyes were wide with wonder. Oscar was also impressed, but he had seen fireworks before and so merely wondered how Quilby had managed to light them. Meanwhile, Quilby was nearly tipping over as he struggled to hold on to his hat. Rosa burst into a quick giggle as she managed to stop him falling by grasping him gently by the shoulders. The spark suddenly stopped with a short fizz, followed by a loud crack. Quilby flew backward to land in a pile of stuffed toys. He scrambled up, and all four of them peered into the mirror. Where they expected to see their own reflections, they now saw only a whirlpool of colour. I can sing a rainbow, sang Oscar as he stared into the coloured pool in the mirror below. Rosa chuckled at his comment, and placed her arm through his. Everyone jumped as a deep voice boomed up from the bottom of the stairs. What are you kids up to? Uh, uh, nothing, Dad, shouted Oscar. Doesn't sound like nothing to me, came the reply from below. Uh, Oscar done a blurter, yelled Rosa. Quilby and Ash looked puzzled. She means a fart, whispered Oscar to the amusement of the pair. And it's did a blurter, Rosa. She poked her tongue at him. That's disgusting, Oscar. Behave yourselves, you two, said Dad, his footsteps trailing off. Phew. So what do we do now? Oscar asked the two little folk, giving his sister a nudge. Quilby replied, As you look into the re reflector plate, you, you have to try to empty your mind of, of all thoughts. If you, if you do it right, the uh, swirling will clear, and uh, we'll see a lost memory that will, will hopefully lead us to your sage guardian. You see, the uh, spell releases a memory of yours from a time when you have come into contact with strong magic. Well, I can't just think of nothing, can I? asked Oscar. He pushed his glasses to the top of his nose and scrunched up his face in concentration as he looked at the swirl. I'm trying, he said, 
but couldn't stop thinking about the painting he'd just looked at on the wall. If only he could clear his mind. Oscar, the, the mirror's clearing, shouted Rosa, grabbing her brother's arm a little harder. The mirror was indeed clearing, slowly from the middle out. They all stared into it. That's my room, said Oscar. Quilby chimed in. The uh, reflective plate shows us a, a memory for, for, from Oscar's point of view, like, like we're b -b 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 behind his eyes. It was like a silent movie was playing on the mirror, showing Oscar's view. In the memory, Oscar was jumping into bed, slipping beneath the warm covers. A few moments later, his mum and dad came into the room, tucking him in and kissing him goodnight. As Oscar popped his glasses on the table next to his bed, the scene blurred. Before long, his eyes began to close as he drifted off to sleep. I think this is a memory from last night, said Oscar, as the mirror went dark. I didn't know this is how you see things without glasses, Oski. Everything's so blurry, said Rosa. Shush, sis, said Oscar. He hated any mention of his vision problems. The mirror remained dark. After a few more moments, Rosa asked, So, what now? Is it over? We need to be patient, Rosa. We, we'll know the memory is complete when the swirling resumes. As Quilby spoke, Oscar's eyes fluttered open in the mirror below, and he looked around the room. Then his eyes closed once again and the darkness returned. So, began Rosa, but was interrupted by the memory in the mirror kicking into life once more. Oscar's eyes sprang open, this time staring at the blinds covering the window next to his bed. In the darkness of the room, one of his hands slowly reached out, while the other came up towards his face, resting his glasses upon his nose. The blinds then came into focus. Trembling fingers reached for the lift cord. As Oscar's hand quickly jerked the cord downward, the blind shot up. There, right outside the window, mere centimetres away through the thin glass, was a hideously glaring, warty face dripping with slime. The four observers jumped back, startled at the beast suddenly filling the mirror. Rosa let out a gasp, throwing her hands up to her face as if to cover her eyes, but peeking out through the gaps in her fingers. The nightmare creature's huge, bloodshot, glowing eyes bulged as it opened its mouth with a snarl. Sharp, rotting teeth glistened in the half-light. A brownish-green, wrinkled tongue slithered out through pointed teeth and licked thin lips. Long, slimy green arms ended in rounded, oversized hands that pressed against the glass, struggling to find purchase. The wind buffeted the trees behind the creature and sent globs of goop flying from him in all directions. As he let out another ferocious snarl, flecks of slime and spittle hit the window. The blind was abruptly flicked back down and Oscar's hands came up to cover his eyes. The swirling took over the mirror once more. I... I thought that was a dream, said a confused and afraid Oscar. Well, I'm afraid you've already met the grubble, lad, said Ash. Now you can see why we really need your help.
They all sat in silence for a few moments as the mirror continued to swirl. Finally, Oscar nodded his head as he tried to shake off the goosebumps that were spreading down his arms. What do we do now? Heading back to the night before, while the grobble was pulling snarly faces at Oscar through his window, our two amphibious friends had no such trouble. They knew exactly what to do. Relaxation was what they needed now. A bit of frog quiet time. They were exhausted. The brothers had hopped about madly for a while after escaping the terrible troll. Then they climbed a wall and jumped into a pond. The vines that had been their harnesses drifted out from them in all directions. They closed their eyes, oblivious for now to the freezing temperature of the water. What a horrible thing to have happened, being tied up and used as a sled by a giant slimy monster. It was almost too much to bear. What would their mother say when she woke up from her hibernation? Perhaps it would be better not to worry her with the tail. Trevor waved goodbye with one of his large webbed feet, and he sunk beneath the water. A few bubbles rose to the surface, then popped. Grawp kept his head above the water and silently puffed his throat in and out. How would they get rid of these vines? They'd have to deal with them sooner or later, but for now, it felt good just to float and to forget. It was nice in the pond. Nice and quiet. Nice, but cold. A sudden tinkling sound caused Grawp's left eye to pop open in alarm. Staying as still as possible, he puffed his throat back out and, filling it with air, floated a little higher. Sniff, sniff, sniff. Something was beside the pond. Some animal searching for the scent of its prey. Was it the return of the grobbling monster from earlier? Were the brothers once again the prey? Grop was terrified, but he couldn't see the beast because they'd had to climb up over a wide lip to reach the pond. It was strange. Ponds weren't usually above the ground, and their sides weren't usually bright blue either. Being higher up meant that Grop couldn't see the sniffer, but thankfully, neither could the sniffer see him. Sniff! 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 Grawp knew that the animal below, the monster, was right next to the pond. He could see its steamy breath rise up as it sniffed around. Sniff! Sniff! The next few seconds seemed like minutes as Grawp waited. The silence was finally broken by a high-pitched yawn from the beast. The tinkling sound began again, along with the tap-tapping of claws on stone. It seemed the beast was pattering away. During all of this, Trevor had been sitting happily at the bottom of the pond, quite unaware of what was going on above. As he reflected on the day's events, an idea struck him. They could rest here in the blue pond tonight, and tomorrow they could travel to the swamp, where there were always plenty of insects swooping about. It was quite a way to travel, but... It would be a welcome break after what they'd been through today, and the full tummies at the end of the trip would be an added bonus. Hmm. He couldn't wait to tell his brother his plan, so he launched straight off the bottom of the pond and leapt right out of the water up onto the pond's icy lip.
Grop's eyes widened in surprise and fear as his brother leapt past. Seeing the look on his brother's face, Trevor froze. He knew his brother well, and Grop's stare was a warning. Over to Trevor's left, a low, rumbling growl began. He turned and saw the beast. And the beast saw him. It was an ugly, hairy monster with great bulging eyes and sharp, sharp teeth. Its fur was a patchwork of brown and white, with a curly whip growing up and out from its rear and flicking dangerously back and forth. The beast looked angry. It darted forward, backward, sideways around the pond, growling and barking. A silvery bauble that hung from a leather strip around its neck tinkled as the beast jerked about. Grop leapt out of the pond, landing next to his brother. They had to get away, and get away fast. Although the beast was not much bigger than the two frogs, its sharp teeth made all the difference. Trevor and Grop had only small, hardened ridges inside their mouths. Gumming this monster was not an option. Casting his eyes desperately about, Grop saw a possible means of escape. Above them, on the wall to their right, was a high ledge. If they could just buy themselves enough time to jump down from the pond and make the few leaps across the stone ground without ending up in the beast's mouth, they would be out of danger. Surely there was no way this creature could climb up to the ledge. As Grob frantically considered his options, the growling was becoming more ferocious and the monster more daring, its gnashing teeth coming closer and closer. Just when the brothers thought there was no hope, the call of a much larger beast came out of the night, in a garbled language that they couldn't understand. Wolf! Shut up! Stop yapping and come inside! For a moment the beast froze and looked back to where the call came from, but then turned once more to face the brothers. The call came again, louder and more insistent this time, Wolf! Seeming to understand the call of its giant master, the beast turned away once more, its curved whip now tucked between its legs. This was their chance. The frogs jumped off the pond's edge to the hard ground below and began leaping toward the high ledge, the vines still trailing behind them. They were going to make it. Hardly hearing the ferocious snarls growing louder behind them, they leapt up towards the ledge, and, if it hadn't been for the vines attached to their legs, they would have made it. But, as they landed on the ledge, they knew their error. The beast had caught the dangling vines in its mouth. It tugged. The two brothers tumbled down toward the sharp teeth of the beast below. The next day, back in Rose's room, Surrounded by the jumbles of fluffy toys that she had piled up in every nook, the four gathered around the mirror. They all felt dejected. Terrifying as it was, Oscar's memory hadn't brought them any closer to finding the children's sage guardian. In the silence that enveloped them all, Rosa again noticed the sorrow on Oscar's face as he stared blankly out the window. But Quilby drew Rosa's attention back to the task at hand. We... Only have a few minutes of the spell left, he said. Rosa, you need to try this time. Rosa's face was a picture of concern. 
I don't know if I can do it, she said. Don't worry, lass. These memories cannot hurt you, said Ash. But I, I don't even know how to clear my mind, like Oski did, Rosa said. T try thinking of one thing only, and then make that one thing disappear. What's left is n n nothing, offered Quilby. Rosa moved closer to the mirror and stared at the swirls. She imagined a beautiful white tulip floating in front of her, and then she tried to remove it from her mind. But the whirling colours just kept whirling. Taking a deep breath, she tried once more, but again the mirror remained unchanged. Rosa groaned in frustration. Oscar put a consoling arm around her shoulders, while Ash and Quilby looked glum. What more could they do? I'm so sorry, guys. I, I thought I was doing it right, said Rosa. Ah, no harm done, lass, said Ash. You, you did your best. Quilby stood up and reached down for the mirror. Ash is right. You've you've done everything that you could. The sp spell will soon fade. Uh, so we, we might as well get the uh, re re reflector plate back up on the... It was Oscar that saw it first. Look, look, he said. The swirls of colour were beginning to blend into one, moving faster and faster until the whole mirror was filled with bright white light. It's working, exclaimed Rosa. Yes, this this is looking m m m m much better, said Quilby. The light parted like clouds in the sky to reveal another moving scene. This time they saw clear rock pools and a sandy beach. The room beyond the edges of the mirror seemed to fade away. It was almost as if they were standing within that scene they were watching, but watching from a distance. We're on the right Track, this seems to be a st strong memory, said Quilby. In the mirror, Rose's hand appeared and picked up a shell from a rock pool. The scene then pitched upward. At the other end of the rock pool, Oscar appeared. Looking down at the mirror in amazement, Rosa said, What? This is so weird. But although she spoke out loud, her voice seemed to come from very far away. Quilby piped up. Where were you on this d d day, Rosa? The children both spoke at once. Scorching, scorching Bay! The Oscar in the memory had moved around the pool and was now standing near Rosa on the edge of a rock wall. Beneath him the churning sea washed in and out over uneven stone. Spotting another rock pool in the distance, he began carefully stepping his way towards it along the wall. Abruptly, he lost his footing on a slimy, seaweed-covered rock. For a moment, he teetered on the wall's edge before toppling down towards the jagged rocks below. The scene buckled and swayed as Rosa jumped up and began running toward him. All of a sudden, there was a split-second golden flash. Incredibly, the direction of Oscar's fall reversed, and he landed safely on a small sandy ledge. The vision began to blur as a close-up of Oscar's face appeared. I'm okay, I'm okay, he mouthed 
as the swirling colours resumed and the room around the children and the fairy folk came back into focus. Are you okay, Oski? asked Rosa, bending over her brother who had fallen back on the carpet. Uh, yeah, I'm okay. Wow, that was crazy. The children turned to look at Ash and Quilby, amazed at what they had just seen. Ash spoke first. So, scorching bay, is it? If we're to have any hope of stopping the grubble, that's where we'll have to go to seek your sage guardian's help. Of course, you call her a fairy godmother, and by the looks of things, she's a sand sprite. What's a sand sprite? asked Rosa. Uh, sand sprites are f- f- fairies that spend most of their time near sand and, and sea, rather than forest and, and hill. Uh, so, so some say they are even made from sand itself, said Quilby. It's pretty uh, rare for anyone to have a sand sprite as a s- sage guardian so far up in the forest. Do you have sand near here? Uh, we have a small sand pit, but we don't really use it much anymore, said Oscar. Hmm, mm, that must be where she uh, re- replenishes from time to time, said Quilby. But I don't think it'll be big enough for a summoning. Uh, how far is it to Scorching Bay from here? Is it uh, too far to walk? Yeah, you can't walk, but it's actually not a long drive. You just go down to the bottom of the heights and it's a few bays further around, said Oscar. Okay, great. So, will you drive us there now? asked Ash. (laughs) Don't be silly. We're just kids. We don't know how to drive, laughed Rosa. Oh, I see, said Ash, looking disheartened for a moment. Well, kids, your world is about as foreign to us as the fairy realm is to you two. Do you think you could figure out how to get us all to this scorching bay while we work on a summoning spell? Well, Quilby will. I'll assist. Nodding their agreement, the children began muttering and hatching a plan before jumping up and heading downstairs. Behind them, Quilby and Ash began pulling random items from Quilby's hat. (laughs) 